0: And for the rest of us, I invite you to open your Bibles and go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. We are going to read verses 1 to 8. Again, the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. Now the first covenant had regulation for worship and also an early sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In his first room were the lamps stand and the table when he's consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which has been the golden altar of incense and the gold covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold heart of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement covered. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, would he offer for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this, that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God.
1: Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, what a gift it is to gather together as people around your word, gather together as your people uh, experiencing and acknowledging your presence by the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for this time of worship that we've had together as we've been able to approach your heavenly throne in humility and offer ourselves in testimony to who you are Lord, I ask that you would now bind us up as we gather around your word, as we seek to hear from you, to listen to you as you reveal yourself to us. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we would hear, open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word, open our hearts that we would feel its power, and in response, Lord, I pray that you would open our hands that we would Offer grace to the world on your behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting. I think about church, the church that I grew up in, and church as I experience it today, the churches that I grew up in. Uh, by the way, my dad was a pastor, so we moved. So when I say churches, we, we moved from church to church uh, along my upbringing. But there were certain church rules. Do any of you remember like church rules? I mean, and I don't know if they were just enforced by my mom or if they were enforced by the whole community collectively, but, but church looks a little different. Uh, first and foremost, there was no running in church. And every Sunday when we dismissed the kids, it's like, boom, running in church. And I'm like, well, that wouldn't have flown. That would have, that would have been bad. Mama would have got me on that one. Uh, I mean there was no running in church and it wasn't just the sanctuary it was in the building right it was in the fellowship hall it was in the hallways and so we would have to go outside you could run outside but you could not run inside the church building do you remember any of the other any of the other church rules kneelers are for knees. My mama taught me that one. Kneelers are for knees. And, and, and you see these kneelers here at the altar. Uh, you know, I've seen people stand on these knees, and these kneelers, and lightning has not struck them, and they are still living today. But if you would ask my mama... I would have been struck by lightning, and I would be dead today for standing on the kneelers because kneelers are for knees. Now, as an adult, I totally get it. Like, there are some beautiful saints of the church that typically had blue hair and were over the age of 80 that crocheted those things by hand, and they were precious in the sight of the Lord, uh, and we really shouldn't have put our feet on them. But but kneelers are for knees. Any other rules? Oh, yeah. Dress coats and even a little... A little bit of a, of a necktie. My, no, oh, absolutely no shorts. No flippity-flops. I even think hey dudes would be out. They would have said no to the hey dudes. We would have had to, we always. And and that was part of the reason why like parents and kids fought so much on Sundays. Do y'all remember fighting with your parents? Because they like, made you comb your hair and brush your teeth. And they made you like take a shower and get dressed up and everything. Dress codes were a huge part of it. You know what else is it different? There was absolutely, unequivocally, no food or drink in the sanctuary. None. There, there was no food or drink in the sanctuary, and that was, that was a hard and fast rule. Now, now I grew up in churches in Fellowship Hall before worship. We had a little donut, social or whatever, but then mama made sure we threw it all away before we came. And now all y'all got your coffee. Some of y'all got it here. Some of y'all stopped on the way here, but you all have your coffee you all, or, or Dr. Pepper. Hallelujah. You, some of you have, your, you, know, you have your things, but these were the church rules. We knew them. There was another rule that, that really sticks out to me because it always made me wonder. It put me in a posture of wonder. The, uh, we have a, a more of a stage platform area, but but in, in the churches I grew up in, we called them the chancel. Do you remember that? The chancel. There was the, where the, the kneelers were and behind the kneelers, that's where it kind of had the steps up and there was a pulpit and a lectern and an altar and... You were not allowed as a kid in the chancel, period. It was off limits. And in fact, it was a special privilege for an adult to be invited into the chancel area by the pastor. It was was as though there was something that happened beyond those kneelers that made me so very curious what was it that made that space those square feet of this holy of this earth holy ground i couldn't quite figure it out as a kid and and I think it was uh, it was wanting to acknowledge that that God meets with us as we worship, and that god uh, that god has uh has had space consecrated to his worship, devoted unto him, and that was something my parents and the parents of the church wanted to impress on me. Now we say no kids on the stage because they can't beat on the drums or else you know Mike would get them uh, you know so So it's a different function. In the early Jewish church, there were church rules as well. And we we heard some of the framework of those rules in Hebrews as it was alluding back to how Worship was ordered and organized, how the, the temple was to be constructed, and it had some reflection and some, and some echoes of what was done in the tabernacle. Uh, I have a floor plan layout that I'm going to show you just of, of what the temple mount uh, would have looked like. Uh, they're, they're pulling it up right now. And uh, I don't know how well you could see, but at the bottom of this, uh, all of this would have been the temple mount, and at the bottom you have the outer court. Uh, otherwise known as the court of women, uh, this is 2,000 years old, so just, uh, you know, uh, so the court of women and then inside there was, there was a gate and a separator and then it was the, the court of the Israelites and, and the court of the priests, the inner court And then I want you to pay specific attention uh, to to where all of those black boxes and lines come together uh, towards the the upper element of that architectural floor plan. And and that is a, a space that was described for us in Hebrews in two steps. The first space as you enter into that room is the holy place. The holy place. And then uh, as you go all the way to the inside of the inside, you see there's wavy lines there, and then there's the holy of holies. So the very center, the heart of the gathering of the worshiping people of Israel was the holy of holies. But before you got there, you got through the holy place. And before there, the inner court. And before there, the outer court. That was temple worship. And there were rules. Certain people were permitted in the outer court certain people permitted in the inner court but then when you got to the holies, the holy place and the holy of holies there were very specific rules only priests could enter into the holy place only priests Only priests that made adequate sacrifices, and it was for uh, particular purposes of engaging on behalf of the people as intermediaries between uh, God and God's people. And so they would make sacrifices, and they had a specific purpose and function. It wasn't to be done flippantly. It wasn't to be done in curiosity. It was to be done reverently and with intentionality. And so these were some of the rules about the holy place. But then that wavy line, that wavy line represents a veil. We'll get more to that in a few minutes but inside the holy of holies here are some things that 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 we know were Jewish rules about the holy of holies first and foremost there was only one person that was supposed to go in that room it wasn't just no to the kids it wasn 't just no to uh, to the women it wasn 't just no to uh, the men of the Israelite community. it was no to everyone except the high priest. The high priest who had been anointed and chosen by God, designated for this task, prepared for this work, was the only one that was able to go and and, and it was prescribed that way by God, and so that was rule number one only the high priest, and secondarily, this is important, the high priest was only allowed to go into the Holy of Holies after appropriate sacrifices, sacrifices for himself and sacrifices for the people, and and, and so I I find this fascinating, just for the high priest, that single person that's going to enter into the Holy of Holies, the the sacrifice was a bull, like a, a bull, can you can you imagine that seems like a massive sacrifice that would be worthy for all of us gathered in this room no It required one bull to be sacrificed for that one individual who we would think is a pretty naturally like obedient to God, devoted to the Lord kind of person. After all, he's the high priest. But even as the high priest, even living a life that's attentive to what the Lord is calling him to do and to be, he still sacrifices a bull so that he would be made clean. Not only from the sins that he had committed knowingly, but also it says from the sins that he committed unknowingly. That he was unholy, and in order to be made worthy of entering that space, there was a sacrifice to be made. And then their sacrifice for the people. Uh, really briefly, uh, they would get two goats, and, and, and then they would cast lots. And one of the goats would be the sacrifice, and one of the goats would be the scapegoat. You could read more about it. It's really interesting. The one that was a scapegoat uh, took on the sins of the community and was released out into the wilderness so that the sins of the community would not be burdened upon the people uh, in the land, but be, would, would be released into the, into the wilderness and, and, and cast out of community. Interesting. You go read about it. But then the other goat, the other goat was representative of the, uh, of the redemption that was necessary so that the sins of the people could be brought before the Lord. and this was uh, a beautiful ritual of being made clean and being made whole, united in faith with the Lord. So only the high priest goes in only after appropriate sacrifices. And third and very importantly, this is only to be done once a year. Only to be done once a year on a very specific day, the day of atonement known as Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, this is when all of this ritual would be instigated and the high priest would go before the Lord. And this is because this this atonement work, this uh, engagement of atoning, not only for the sins of the high priest but for the sins of all the people so that we might be reunited and made one with the Lord, is to be done on one day a year. Now, Mama told me that kids weren't allowed to go in the chancel. Can you imagine if you were growing up as a Jewish kid and they said... Only one person can go in there only after certain work and it's only once a year. I mean, wonder and awe would have been like, wow, why? Why? It's because of what was in the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant of God. The contents of that ark and the contents of that room are described in Hebrews, and you could go back and read it there. But A part of that is the the law that was given down from Moses to the people. A part of it was his very presence, God's very presence resided in that space. And so it requires a great deal of discipline to understand how important that engagement was. It's interesting to think about all those rules it's interesting to think about all the work that, that, that we do in preparation for worship. E- even, even here at Covenant today, there, there are all of these cov crews, these teams that prepare refreshments and greet at the door and our ushers and our sound techs uh, and, and the worship team. And, and we think about all of the different folks that come to play a part in preparation for us each Sunday to meet with the Lord. And thank you all for all that you do. I'm really uh, in awe of how God provides through you this service to the world. But I also kind of, if I allow myself, I could get a little nostalgic and look back to the, the history of covenant. Some of you were there, some of you weren't, but, but we, we began worship at the YMCA, which is over in Rob Fleming, this big open room. Now there's a gym in a third of it, and so like it kind of s- smells, and it's a little, it's a little uh, uh, you know, uh, aromatic, aromatic. Uh, it, it stank. And so, um, so, you know, but but before that gym was there, you know, we would have that space of worship and 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 we had all of the sorts of set up and tear down. We had a tabernacle ministry that basically would prepare the way every single Sunday to set it up and to tear it down. Uh, and then we moved into Timber Creek Elementary. Um, I mean, and it was a beautiful space in the cafetorium and it didn't have that, 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 that gym smell anymore, which was great. Um, and, but I want you to know, like, my kids were always super confused about, about church and school because my kids g- grew up going to school and churches and churches and schools and so they would like drive by a school and say there's my church and drive by a church and say there's my school and so it was all sorts of wa- wonky in people's minds. Well, one of the things that we did whenever we were preparing for worship each and every Sunday was we would set up the curtains. Anybody remember the curtains? Come on, testify, Cindy Simmons threw her hand right up in the air because she folded curtains every single Sunday for seven and a half years. Hallelujah, thank you, Cindy Simmons. You know we would set up these curtains and 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 when you walked into uh, into Timber Creek, uh, you would walk into a space of fellowship and community, and there were refreshments and there were there was joy and there was a space to check in your kids, but then we we would frame off. Making two hallways to go back to the back so that the the children's ministry could walk back that way. So we would make two hallways and then we would have curtains around the back. So that when you entered in to worship, there was a a designation of, of space that you could feel. And for a few moments, you could forget that you were in a cafeteria. I mean, that was the aim. I have people laughing because they absolutely did not forget it was a cafeteria. But that was the idea. I mean, it was the idea that we would enter in and we would feel that there was a a holy reverence to the space. And so I find it interesting to think about purpose you know, why did we set up and tear down curtains? I mean, that was, those cases were huge and they were so heavy and it took like nine guys to roll the cases up in the trailer every week. And, and I was always worried that we didn't have workers comp on our volunteers. Uh, we only had one emergency room visit from the curtains over the course of our history. Jeff, we love you. Um, and so, you know, we, we watched that go up and so we would set up these eight, these eight foot poles and then we would extend them up to 10 and hang curtains on them. And someone asked me at one point in time, why do we do this? Why do we do this? And I gave two answers. And I think function matters, and, and, and I promise it ties. Here we go. Function matters. The first is that this was a space that was to be devoted. And it was going to, to bring us into a sacred space and the effort Given to prepare for that sacred space was a part of our heritage. Even today, we prepare. We prepare in prayer. We prepare in, in community and in team. But that was important. The second thing was, uh, some of y'all will remember this. We bought some some cheaper curtains the first time around. They were kind of these these thin little fabric, uh, this thin little fabric, and this, the acoustics were horrid. And so we, we, we got rid of, sold all those curtains, bought new curtains, these thick theater curtains, so that it would contain the sound and have some absorption. And so we had this twofold reason for having curtains to designate space as holy and devoted and to make sure that the sound was able to be uh, reasonable for us as we engaged in worship. You, you'll notice on this this rendering that there is a wavy line between the holy place and the holy of holies. Why wavy line and why not solid line? That's a wavy line because it represents a fabric, a fabric uh, called the veil. It's, it's the, the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. We actually have a, uh, a, an image depiction that I think is possible uh, it's possible that this is what it would look like. Well, no one really knows what the veil looks like, but we do know that the colors, that the colors, uh, that it had purples for royalty, that it had crimson in it, uh, that it had cherubims that are to be woven into it. And these, this veil was hand-woven by craftsmen that were specifically gifted for this quality Task and work. Each of these dies were hard to come by, hard to find. They were they they were uh, special, and it offered a, a, an importance uh, of engagement for uh, for that space to be separate and devoted for the people. This veil, this veil, uh, this veil has a, a few different things for us to consider. The veil, first and foremost says that God is drawing near to God's people and there's this central and present uh, uh, reality that God is with us and yet the veil shows that the people need to be protected. Because if it was unveiled, then the, the central presence, God's desire to draw near to his people, would, would have had too much power for those uh, that, that drew near uh, to, in, to engage with. And so God put the veil up so that he says to his people, I want to be with you. I desire to be in relationship with you. But I also want you to be protected from the impact of that engagement. And so there's a a beauty to it. And there's also this this clarity that we from a distance can look at and see that the veil represents. The veil also represents clearly that that we as a people are sinners in need of a Savior. That, That we're sinners who on our own capacity are incapable of relating to a holy and perfect God who who is uh, so uh, so much of uh, of uh, of a distance from us in uh, in in integrity and in holiness and yet is creating space to draw near to us. We are sinners in the presence of a holy God and we are in need of a savior. You know Uh, Pastor Dario and I were talking uh, uh, this week about this sermon and this series, this series unveiled that has been talking about the glory of the Lord and uh, revealing to us uh, the power of the glory of the Lord and the power of God's presence. And as we've been discussing it, uh, we got to this week and we are so ready for next week. Because next week we talk about uh, uh, the veil being torn uh, through the sacrifice that Jesus made. But we're not quite going there yet. What I want you to be connected with today is that God drew near to his people as close as he could get prior to Jesus' coming. And set up a veil that would protect the people who were yet sinners. How gentle is our God? How gentle is our God that he desires a relationship with you? How holy is our God that he is able to create space that is both near and safe? I'm so thankful that God reveals in in the way that the Jewish people interact with him, his heart, his desire, his relationship. And I can't wait to tell you that while the veil represents that we are sinners in need of of a savior, that Jesus made the way for the veil to be torn. That's next week. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you acknowledging uh, that we stand on holy ground, that you are here, that you are near us, and that you have created a way for, for all of your people to be in relationship with you. Lord, we ask that, that you would be, uh, be acknowledged, be celebrated uh, as singularly holy in the world today. Lord, use our lives uh, as a witness Uh, to your glory. Help us to reveal your heart to the world that's hurting and in need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.